night. All right, so we're just one minute after one and uh, others might be uh, joining us just as we kind of get started, but uh, I have a little bit of a feel just to start us off here today before we jump into our wonderful speaker today. So um, let's uh, go ahead and get started. So welcome everyone. Um, I'm joined today with Christy Pagnuti, Program Manager at Ontario Justice Education Network, as you know, OGEN, who will be assisting in today's webinar. And my name is Hannah Kaploon. I am the Bilingual Project Coordinator at the Public Legal Education Association of Canada, otherwise known as PLIAC. Um, just as a little note, we are a national nonprofit organization that uh, supports communication and cooperation between individuals and groups interested in public legal education. I work very closely with um, the lovely group at OGEN um, and uh, who is hosting this wonderful SLI webinar series. And as a paralegal myself, I am uh, very happy to be joining for today's webinar titled, So You Want to Be a Paralegal Exploring Careers in Law. So thank you to everyone for joining us today. Uh, before we jump in, I do have just a few other housekeeping items. Um, first off, any links or resources mentioned today uh, will be posted in the chat, so keep an eye out there. Um, if you have any questions or comments, peel, uh, please feel free to use the chat or Q&A function below. You can do that, save them for the end, or please feel free to chat, um, submit your questions throughout the webinar as well, if anything comes to mind. And the presentation today is being recorded and it will be posted on the website, including today's PowerPoint as well. Um, so I would also like to acknowledge the land I and others are joining us today are on, um, and it's the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, the Hurons, and the Wendat peoples. Um, I also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Um, those licensed as legal practitioners here recognize that First Nation, Metis, and Inuit peoples may face unique access to justice challenges. So acknowledging traditional Indigenous territories is only one way to recognize contemporary and historical Indigenous presence and land rights. So as we think about the administration of justice, we are compelled to consider the real impact of institutional injust injustice on individuals, families, and whole communities. So we encourage everyone to continue learning about how you can support and uplift Indigenous voices. And uh, further to today's webinar, I am thrilled to be joined by our guest speaker, Linda Pasternak. She's an educator and a lawyer. She began uh, her career teaching elementary school, but then changed direction and attended Osgoode Hall Law School. Um, when Linda was called to the bar, she had three children under 18 months old, um, and soon after began teaching part-time at Seneca College teaching law clerks, court administrators, and court agents. Um, in 2007, Linda was seconded to the Law Society of Ontario to assist in setting up the regulatory and educational components for the new paralegal profession. Um, now Linda has returned to Seneca. She's taught primarily in the paralegal program, but also the law clerk and justice administration programs. And she has been coordinating the paralegal program for over a dozen years. Um, and without further ado, Linda, please feel free to begin whenever you're ready. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, hello, everybody. I don't know how many of you are out there. I don't know how many of you are sitting in um, the outside with a cocktail. Um, so hopefully um, you'll uh, find some of this of uh, interest uh, because I truly believe that the, the students in high school are you know, the future and who we have to, to reach. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about paralegals, and I also want to talk about justice administrators um, and law clerks and the other kinds of legal support services that maybe you can guide your students to uh, looking at when they graduate from high school. Uh, so first of all, um, in first of all, you need to know that in Canada, there's only one province that has licensed paralegals. Um, and this scheme has been in effect since 2007, uh, when the Attorney General, Michael Bryant at the time, um, asked the Law Society to regulate paralegals, which they eventually uh, did agree to. Um, so paralegals were regulated by the Law Society of Ontario. You might have heard it known as the Law Society of Upper Canada, uh, but the name changed. 
um, several years ago. So the Law Society of Ontario took on this task and basically the Law Society now governs the two legal professions in Ontario, lawyers and paralegals. And much like lawyers, the Law Society has designed a scheme which includes regulation, um, bylaws, um, guidelines, uh, licensing. Um, it basically it set aside exactly what um, a paralegal should do, um, and it's quite similar to what a lawyer has to do. Um, they also set up education, and that's what I've primarily been involved with. When we talk about the education of paralegals, we talk about paralegals going to college. And uh, the Law Society has made a decision of what colleges can be accredited by the Law Society. And they set up a very detailed scheme about applying, a college applying to uh, be accredited, which includes who the faculty are. It includes uh, the number of students, the courses, the learning outcomes for those courses. And uh, like any bureaucracy, lots and lots of rules and directives um, to follow. So in Ontario, um, there's about a dozen community colleges um, that are accredited by the Law Society to educate paralegals. And there are a certain number of private career colleges that are also uh, accredited. Now, all the colleges um, have to undergo a detailed process, which includes binders and binders. Well, I guess today it's USBs, USBs, uh, full of information, um, pay a fee, uh, get accredited, and then every five years go through an audit process. Or if there's any changes in between this five-year period, they have to undergo uh, an auditing process, um, much like you know any other kind of audit where everybody scrambles to make sure everything has been done properly. And then they interview faculty, they interview students um, to make sure that the individual college is um, performing as uh, required. So like you guys um, have, you know, gone through in the past year and a half, um, the colleges had to switch to online learning and, uh, you know, you guys are the absolute best. Uh, I basically teach young adults, uh, the odd 17 year old um, up to, I think my old student was 75. Um, so uh, generally um, things have um, been very interesting. You know, I've been subject to um, rude things being you know, put on um, Zoom, um, you know, panicking in the middle of uh, a session, uh, you know, uh, rude things in chats and God knows what goes on in the background when they're all on WhatsApp, et cetera, cursing me out for having given them a poor mark on a test or exam. Um, I think dealing with teenagers as you guys do um, is as much more challenging what, than what I've had to do. So we get a lot of students who want to be a paralegal and they come to Seneca or one of the other uh, community colleges, but they don't really know what paralegals are. They've watched suits on TV. Um, you know, if you're older like myself, you know, LA law, that kind of thing. But uh, essentially, uh, they've watched a little too much American television. So if you remember a minute ago, I said that Ontario is the only jurisdiction in Canada that has accredited paralegals that can be licensed to perform certain tasks. So anybody who wishes to become a licensed paralegal 
in Ontario will go to a community college. If they already have a university degree, it will be a 12 month program. If they are coming right out of high school, it will be a two year program. So they would start in September, finish at the end of April, have the summer off, start in September and then finish in April. And because they're coming out of high school, they will, in addition to the legal subjects, the professional subjects as we call them, they will also be required to take English and general education subjects. And uh, what we find is that we, in the two-year program, there will be a mix of students straight out of high school, um, students who are newcomers to Canada, um, individuals who have um, gone through a change in career or, you know, a life change, um, people who may have been injured at a job and they're looking to um, be retrained. So a class of, quote, students out of high school may have half the students out of high school and then it will be a large uh, variation of other students. What we find though, is that the students who come into the program because they've watched so much American television, they haven't done what I like to call the due diligence and lawyers tend to use that term a lot. They haven't done their research before deciding what kind of program will suit them and give them the best opportunities for their particular skills and abilities. And this harkens back to some of the rules that the Law Society has um, set up. So the Law Society has set up what's called the scope of practice in one of their bylaws, which basically states what paralegals can and cannot do. So as the regulator of the two legal professions, they have a lot of control. Um, so we look at the scope of practice and basically what the Law Society said says is that paralegals can become advocates. And this is where there's some real challenges because um, advocacy is written advocacy, as we all know as teachers, um, how important that is. And it's also oral advocacy uh, in terms of representing a client. So today, if somebody brings a claim at the landlord tenant board, it's all on Zoom. Uh, if it's a case at small claims court, it might be on Zoom. And then next, um, next month, it may be back in the courtroom. So we're training students to become advocates, oral and written. I think a lot of students um, don't quite understand uh, the whole oral language part. Um, that we are expecting students to get up, to speak, to present, um, and part of the curriculum, uh, there are many things like that. But there are an increasing number of students who come into the program and because of various situations, um, speaking out loud, speaking to a group is not something that they want to do and it makes the program very difficult um, for them. But we have other programs at Seneca and throughout the community college system that may be more appropriate for students in that particular situation. So the Law Society, when it talks about the scope of practice, paralegals are allowed to do certain things. So they're allowed to be advocates at the small claims court which now has a monetary jurisdiction of $30,000, which makes it um, a situation where a plaintiff who's making a claim uh, against a de defendant, uh, we're looking at a substantive amount of money. And in today's atmosphere, um, a paralegal may be against a lawyer in that particular situation. And I certainly know many paralegals that do better than the lawyers in those kinds of situation. 
So we have small claims court. We also have landlord and tenant board, um, which is a very popular area of advocacy. Um, and one of the things that one always has to remember when you're being an advocate is one day you may be um, making an application as a tenant, and the next day you may be making an application as a landlord. So that ability to see both sides of a situation is very, very uh, important. In addition to the landlord tenant board, um, there are numerous, there are literally dozens and dozens of tribunals and agencies, both provincial and federal that paralegals can practice at um, and either defend a client or um, advocate on behalf of a client. We've got things like the Human Rights Tribunal, Workplace Safety and Insurance Board, um, the Social Benefits Tribunal. So there are numerous tribunals uh, that paralegals can represent clients at and be very successful. One of the things that um, has happened recently and was basically put on hold because of the pandemic is some of the boards, their nature has changed recently. And uh, so for example, the Criminal Injuries Compensation Board, which was a very good thing for paralegals to practice in, it's much more difficult now because it's all paper-based. It used to be that you could take a client who had suffered because of some particular abuse or a criminal action, and then they um, would make submissions, both oral and written, to the board members and hopefully receive a certain amount of money. Um, and it's much more difficult now because it is all written advocacy. Um, I think the current conservative government has been looking at um, narrowing the number of boards and tribunals. The License Appeal Tribunal, which is the tribunal people go to if they are fighting their insurance company because they have been injured in, say, a car accident, and um, they are allowed certain what's called accident benefits uh, for a certain amount of time. And the tribunals, again, are mostly paper-based and less and less oral-based. Um, so that is, these are good places for paralegals to represent clients for. Clients can, um, paralegals can do minor criminal matters um, that are where the penalty is under $5,000 and or uh, 18 months, or sorry, excuse me, six months um, imprisonment. However, because many people who are charged with a criminal offense um, are, you know, doing a break and enter to get money, you know, usually there are lawyers who are able to do criminal matters uh, because they can get legal aid. And so it's not a huge area for paralegals, but it certainly is an area that paralegals can uh, get involved in. And usually if a paralegal wants to work in this area, they also um, may pair it up with provincial offenses. So any of us that drive, we certainly know that, um, you know, you could get stopped by the police at any time, uh, any, any place and, and charged um, for various things that we may think are minor, but um, the Provincial Offenses Act sets out, you know, everything from speeding to careless driving uh, to dangerous driving. Uh, to um, distracted driving, which is a big one. 
And a lot of paralegals will go into that area of practice to represent clients at um, in provincial offenses court. And this is where you see the larger organizations such as ex-coppers or points where they originally started um, practice because they were police officers and then they retired early and then they would uh, start to represent clients. Um, we've had less police officers come into our program lately because um, they don't wanna do a two year or, or a one year program. They um, coming back to school full time maybe something that they don't choose to do. And the law society where it has grandparented um, various groups of individuals in the past um, has been very reluctant to do so uh, any more. So uh, going back to school to get your um, paralegal diploma is essential. Uh, also, uh, another interesting thing is in immigration. Uh, so as far as immigration goes, um, paralegals can do refugee work. They can make appearances at the Immigration Refugee Board. Uh, so if somebody is being deported back to their country of origin, a paralegal can represent a client there. However, and this has always seemed very ironic to me, they can't represent um, a client, say if uh, a client wants to apply to have his family uh, come to Canada to sponsor, they can't do that paperwork unless they're doing it under the supervision of a member of the Immigration Council of Canada, the ICCRC, or a lawyer. Um, so they can't prepare those documents if somebody wants their aunt to come for a wedding or somebody to come for a baptism of a child. Um, that can only be done by a lawyer or a member of the Immigration Council of Canada. But they can represent somebody at the Immigration Refugee Board where if they make an error in their submissions, oral or, and or written, that person can be deported back to the country of origin and suffer untold horrors and torture. So it's never sort of made sense to me, but nobody asked me or they've asked me and <laughs> have ignored me. Um, one of the areas that paralegals can be very involved in is employment law. And today, particularly because of the pandemic, there is a lot of employment law. Um, that um, both common law and under um, the Employment Standards Act, uh, Workplace Safety and Insurance Appeals Tribunal, um, et cetera. So that is an area that is um, very um, lucrative for um, some paralegals. So that's basically the scope of practice. So you can see everything I've said, you know, criminal, provincial offenses, small claims court, landlord intent, advocacy, either for the plaintiff or the defendant in a civil case or the applicant and respondent at a board. Um, so this is what advocacy is about or assisting a client in preparing for a trial, drafting the statement of claim, drafting the statement of defense. So in landlord-tenant, if you're a paralegal that does landlord-tenant, you cannot uh, help a client with a lease. But if there is an issue with the landlord later on, you can certainly assist the client in those kinds of um, situations. So. Estelle has a question. Can paralegals work on wills and family? No. A definitive no. So wills and estates, corporate, family, real estate are not within the scope of practice. 
And I'll get to, if you're patient, um, I'll get to that. Now, family law is interesting because in 2016, Madam Justice Boncalo, um, at the uh, request of the Attorney General at the time, uh, wrote a report saying that because there was so much underrepresentation of family law clients that they should open family law up to paralegals. The Law Society has been working on that for quite, quite a long time. And um, there was a call for proposals of, I think it was a, about a year ago, about if there were to be non-lawyers working in the family area, what would that look like? What would their scope of practice, what kind of education, et cetera. So right now the Law Society is continuing to work on that, but as of today, paralegals cannot do family law. And if it ends up being a separate license, um, then we would have to determine exactly what um, would happen in terms of um, family. Uh, somebody else asked about British Columbia. So if you remember to what I said that Ontario was the only jurisdiction in Canada that had licensed paralegals. So somebody who's being trained as a paralegal in Ontario, they can go and work out West, they can work out East. The law they will have learned in Canada uh, Ontario Community College will primarily be Ontario law. Um, certain areas like criminal, of course, is federal in jurisdiction. So they can go to British Columbia and they can get a job with a law firm, but they would not be able to practice independently. And uh, so British Columbia has been working on having paralegals licensed in that province. But as of today, they sort of stumbled along and they've had a little program, nothing happened to it. So I know that there is a call out for legal service providers who may be cheaper than lawyers. And um, most of the jurisdictions are really concerned about access to justice. So it's, it's quite interesting that Ontario um, paralegals were allowed to become licensed in 2007. People were grandparented in who'd already been practicing as court agents. And then since 2008, there's been the requirement to have a paralegal diploma from an accredited college uh, in Ontario. So somebody can work in another jurisdiction, it's not as a licensed paralegal because there's no such animal in there. And the word paralegal is used differently in different jurisdictions. In the United States, they will call law clerks paralegals. Um, in Quebec, they call law clerks paralegals. And there are some, there are some corporate um, firms, you know, the big downtown firms, um, uh, it will basically, the paralegals will, I'm just trying to catch, I read a, I read a question coming in, so I sort of lost my train of thought. Um, so paralegals in the corporate world, because they deal with the US and because they deal with other um, settings, they are going to essentially be um, law clerks, even though they're called paralegals. But in Ontario, when we talk about paralegals, we're talking about individuals who are licensed by the Law Society. And I got distracted, uh, because somebody brought up that they're gonna be going to Sheridan for the paralegal program and because it's online. 
the Law Society has said to all colleges in the province of Ontario that starting this September, classes have to be in person. So some of the colleges will be in person. Some of the colleges will be having certain courses in person. At Seneca College, for example, final exams in December will be online, but then in January, all the classes will be in person. So whoever wants to go to Sheridan, it's a good school, but remember, it's not necessarily going to be online or part of it may be online and then the rest will be in person. The Law Society is very adamant that um, the paralegal program needs to be in person for students to get the most out of the program. I've meant, and I, I hope everybody's understanding, please ask questions. <laughs> I'm sort of looking at myself going, please ask questions. Uh, so I'm using the term independent paralegal. So the primary purpose of the paralegal program in any college is to train individuals to start their own businesses, to be independent, to be entrepreneurial, to start their own business representing these clients within the scope of practice. So like lawyers start their own practice representing clients either general basis. So those of you that live in small town Ontario, you know there will be a lawyer that will do wills and estates, they'll do real estate, they'll do corporate, they'll do criminal, they'll um, do small claims court, they'll do everything. They're general practitioners. Or they will only deal with one particular area, whether it's personal injury, whether it is uh, real estate, etc. So paralegals, where the main goal for paralegals is that they start their own firms representing clients. And I have found in reality, because I've been doing this a hell of a long time, that most of our graduates, particularly the graduates who come to us from high school and graduate after two years, as 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, they're not really ready to start their own businesses. Um, starting your own business, it's... Um, um, starting your own business is a, um, a challenging thing. Um, it is hard. You need some money you know, to start a business, um, you, you've got to have a certain amount of knowledge and have a talent. I'm not working in my own law firm. Um, I like getting a paycheck every couple of weeks. So um, paralegals will often choose to work for a law firm, work for a government agency, um, work for a firm, in that um, particular uh, situation. Uh, so I'd like to take a moment to start to talk about the other programs that both Seneca has and um, many of the other colleges. So Linda, I was just gonna say, if you wanted to answer just before you moved on, just because we had yeah. one question in the Q&A, if you wanted to just touch on that briefly, it was just, what kind of program or job would you suggest for students who like law, but don't like public speaking? Is there a good option? I'm gonna get that. Okay, absolutely. great. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Absolutely. So um, most of the colleges have other programs and the most popular one, and the one with the highest rate of employment is the law clerk program. So the law clerk program is a two-year program for students out of high school, or there are accelerated versions for people who have university degrees. And these are the programs that teach things like corporate law, real estate, wills and estates, family law, 
uh, litigation, all those kinds of things with the view that once the student graduates, they can work under the supervision of a lawyer, assisting the lawyer and depending on the law firm, they may be interviewing clients, they um, will be drafting documents, they will be assisting the, the lawyer um, with numerous tasks, um, dealing with clients, they essentially become the lawyer's right-hand person uh, within a particular um, firm. And to tell you the truth, I think that some of the law clerks are a lot smarter than the lawyers. Um, and there's no public speaking as part of the law clerk program. Everybody somehow thinks that paralegals make more than lawyers. And that is more than law clerks, sorry. Um, and that's absolutely not true. Good law clerks, can, and especially when you think of the big downtown Toronto law firms like um, Denton's or Goodman's or BLG, um, their law clerks do very, very well. And um, they can easily be making over, or, $100,000 a year. And I know all the teachers are saying, hey, sign me up. I think I should. Um, I should go um, into that particular um, uh, situation and uh, become uh, a law clerk. Law clerks are not licensed. There is a voluntary group that law clerks can become part of called the Institute of Law Clerks of Ontario, ILCO, where they can take further courses and they can uh, then, you know, have more credentials behind their name. But if the economy's bad, lawyers need law clerks. If the economy's good, lawyers need law clerks. So it is a profession where students can do really, really well. Whereas paralegals, if you're trying to run your own business, it's hard. I'm not saying that you can't do well, but it's much more difficult and it's harder to get a job. And the reason it's harder to get a job is that you will find lawyers know that paralegals can do some of the same tasks that they can. And they're a little bit afraid if uh, a new paralegal comes into the firm, gets trained, and then they will use all that training and start their own business. So there's a little bit of um, feeling about that particular situation where um, they won't hire a paralegal as much as a law clerk. So um, they'll, Lawyers that do things like personal injury, they will hire paralegals. Um, immigration lawyers will hire paralegals, some general firms. But if somebody's doing real estate, corporate, wills and estates and family, they're gonna hire a law clerk because the law clerks already had the initial training in school. Um, and it's not to say that a paralegal um, can't be trained in that area. It's to say that they don't have those skills coming out of college uh, immediately in that particular situation. So the law clerk program traditionally has the highest rate of employment of any program within um, the legal field. And then there's, um, as far as I know, there's two, there's two, um, Two colleges that offer other programs. Um, one is in, um, I think, Centennial College. They have a court, um, a court certificate program, and Seneca's got something called a Justice Administration Diploma Program. So, Justice Administration, and this is a program that has not tended to be popular because people don't know about it. It's unique. It trains students to work within the court system itself. So to work right in the courtroom as a court clerk. 
And somebody mentioned something about oral language. Well, the court uh, administrator, the court clerk will have a little bit of public speaking. So they will have to swear in a witness to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They may have to say, all rise when the judge or the justice of the peace walks in the courtroom. And if somebody is misbehaving um, in a court, um, then they may have to ask somebody to, you know, if somebody is talking or talking on their phone, they may have to ask, you know, somebody within the courtroom to, you know, be quiet. But um, they are assisting the judges and then the administration of justice. They can be registrars, uh, client service representatives. So when we're talking about courts, if you think about the various jurisdictions, so provincial court, um, uh, and provincial courts, municipal courts, and then there's the federal court system. So somebody just popped up about French. If you have French, you are golden. They're always wanting client service representatives if they are bilingual. Having any extra language, as you know, is a terrific uh, thing to have, but French, of course, is the one that's golden, whether you're in any level of court. I had a student a couple of years ago was working for a tribunal and she was bilingual and they had layoffs. And even though she was the last in, she got to keep her job because she was bilingual. Uh, so um, the Ontario government, the Ministry of the Attorney General, they're always looking for client services representatives, the federal court. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't got any students in the Supreme uh, Court of Canada, but the Court of Appeal for Ontario, many of our graduates have gone to um, work there. And we have at Seneca, we have some real uh, connections with the courts and they, they will come to us directly um, for candidates for jobs. Um, and all of our programs, the paralegal, the law clerk, and the um, justice administration, we have field placements. So paralegal students will go to a paralegal firm or certain kinds of law firms. Um, law clerks will go to other, you know, depending on their grades, depending on their interests, depending on where they live to, you know, one of the big downtown law firms or to a smaller boutique law firm and students in justice administration, they will go to a court to do their um, placements. The one thing I might note about justice administration is that students to be placed um, for placement, students have to be either permanent residents or Canadian citizens for placement um, purpose in the Justice Administration program. So if you have students who are here on some sort of temporary status or refugee status, um, that might be an issue as far as Justice Administration uh, program. And um, so these, I can tell you that all the graduates from June's uh, Justice Administration, they all have, they all have jobs um, in the courts. Uh, the only issue is when the government hires students or graduates, uh, they'll hire them on a part-time basis, um, maybe you know evenings, afternoons, so many days a week, and uh, but once you're in the system, then you can keep on applying for extensions of your contracts. And eventually after a year or two, um, there's usually full-time positions. The one thing for justice administration, before they will interview you for a job in the Ontario court as uh, an applicant is they will give um, the applicants a grammar test and a typing test. Um, 
because if you've ever noticed in court, um, you've got to type fast. Uh, and today, there's no, very few court reporters, the old kind, you know, you may have seen, you know, in American television, you know, they're using that little um, machine. Most of the transcription now is on a, um, is digital. So the court clerks or the court service representatives run the, you know, the recorder and what happens. I mean, keyboarding is so important with everything. Most of the judges, um, they keyboard their own decision um, then. But when you think of making recommendations to your students about what program is right for them, don't just think of the paralegal program. First of all, the paralegal program is harder. It, it's more intense because at the end of the day, if somebody's representing somebody at the landlord tenant board and they make an error, somebody's gonna lose their home. If they represent somebody in small claims court and they make a mistake, somebody um, will lose a lot of money. If they represent somebody in criminal court, somebody can go to jail. So it's a program that is much more intense and has a much higher level of learning outcomes other than the other kinds of programs that are at Seneca or the other community colleges. And I'm not just trying to uh, use Seneca, that's what I'm most familiar with. We have a fourth program called Legal Office Administration. And this is a program for people who want to be legal assistants. So um, they can do a program in 12 months and get a diploma. So there's English and general education included. It's less theory and more practical. Um, so it's um, a lot of keyboarding, some basic computer programs. Like, for example, they would take a whole course on PowerPoint, that kind of thing, a whole course on Excel. Uh, so everything is um, more mechanical and less theory, whereas in the law court program and the paralegal program, while there are the computer courses, uh, um, for the computer courses, there are, um, it's a necessity for everybody. Um, but it's not as big a deal for the paralegals, for example. Uh, if you don't keyboard well, you know, you're just going to slow yourself down. Uh, as I said, all the judges are now doing keyboarding. Uh, the monetary jurisdiction for small claims court, Hannah, help me, it's 30,000, right? Was it 35,000? So, excuse me, yeah, I got that wrong, 35,000. Um, thank you. Good pick up, somebody. Yeah, thirty-five thousand. So that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of money. Um, if you're representing somebody in um, in small claims court, uh, so you've got to know what you're doing. And one thing that uh, both litigants and paralegals are always interested to find out if you take on a case, a plaintiff is suing a neighbor because of a fence situation and you lose, you have to pay not only for your own paralegal or lawyer, you have to pay a portion of the other side's legal fees. So that is built into the system to say, hey, watch out. Um, maybe you don't want to sue. One of the things in all of our programs we have, we teach uh, alternative dispute resolution, negotiation and mediation. Um, so the court's legislation is very big on these kinds of things right now. And I think it's important for all of us to know these kinds of things. Hannah, is, have I managed to talk too long?
Anna, we're having difficulty hearing you. I think there's something with the microphone. Oh, sorry about that. Can you hear no me? No problem. We can oh, hear you now. Okay, great. I mean, we are in this far with uh, Zoom and there's still going to be technical difficulties, of course, this far. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry for that. Um, no, but I was just going to say, Linda, no, your timing has been great. I just wanted to jump in with a quick question. Uh, it was sort of uh, related to what you were just uh just talking about uh, something similar anyways, but what is the best educational path for someone that already has their paralegal certificate, but whose goal is to become a paralegal supervisor or manager? What does that career path look like? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's any paralegal supervisor or manager. I, I, I don't know if that's a job. If you have a firm, you certainly can have other paralegals working under you and they would be called a junior paralegal. Um, but we wouldn't use the normal, um, the law's got its own terminology. So you wouldn't be called a, a paralegal supervisor. It may be a senior paralegal, a junior paralegal, um, or if it's your own firm. What's very interesting today is that some of the law firms are now having paralegals as partners within those law firms. There's some very excellent um, paralegals. And if you are running your own paralegal firm, you also have to, part of your licensing as a paralegal, you've got to pay fees to the law society every year. It's about $600 a year. Plus you have to carry errors and emission insurance in case you make a mistake. Um, you have insurance. So those are added costs to also running a business or working under another paralegal. Does that answer the question? No, I think that's fantastic. I think that's great. And I think there was just one other, uh, one other question here that was similar um, sort of to the uh, to the Q&A question that uh, Linda, you answered just a little bit before in terms of the public speaking, but um, newly licensed paralegals may be hesitant to appear in court. Um, are there any suggestions or tips for students holding themselves back from the program due to the one fear um, relating to sort of the public speaking portion? <laughs> it, it's, it's quite amazing. You know, the fear of public speaking and the fear of snakes are about equal and it's a, it's a challenge we have. And we will do our best, you know, we'll start students off slowly and then move up to, you know, when we eventually have our mock trials, you know, we go to a real court and have mock trials with justice of the peace, et cetera. Um, but I've certainly had students who are paralyzed by public speaking and, um, you know, anxiety, even though, you know, we'll let them sit down you know, hold on to something. The first time I was in court, I was shaking and, you know, I rushed to the bathroom to throw up after, you know, it's something you've got to work on. Um, but if somebody has, you know, it, it can be a real problem for them completing the program. And that's why it may be better for them to really look at something like law clerk or justice administration as an alternative. And all of our programs, once you finish one, you can go on to another program. And, um, you know, you can go on to another and in three years you can get two diplomas. We've got all the colleges have pathways with various universities. If you get a B, then you can go on to um, uh, university, second year of university. And uh, we have somebody who's gonna be teaching for us this fall. She was a law clerk student, then took paralegal, then went to York University, graduated, then went to law school and is a lawyer and has been practicing for a number of years and is gonna come and teach. So there's lots of ways to get to the same place. Um, somebody said, how does somebody who's got some courses? It depends what school you went to. Um, your best bet would be to contact that school. It depends how long ago. So for example, at Seneca, um, we wouldn't recognize any courses taken before 2015 because of our law society agreement, which says what we can and cannot do. And also the law changes. You, those of you that teach the law, you know that 
immigration law last week is not the same as immigration law next week or criminal that it's it's moving so it depends when you took the courses and what school you took the courses with so get back to that school That's great. I mean, we have a few minutes left. Um, so let's just take a look here. We have actually a few more in the Q&A. So do paralegals have to do professional development after they are licensed? Who offers it? And is there an association? Thank you. Yes. Um, just like lawyers, um, paralegals have to do continuing uh, professional development. Part of that professional development can be in areas, so subject matter areas, but part of it also has to be in ethics and professionalism. So the Law Society offers programs, other, other groups offer programs, but there's a group called the Ontario Paralegal Association, OPA. And if you're a member of OPA, which is a voluntary organization, um, you can get a lot of free uh, continuing professional uh, development. And also like things like LinkedIn, um, you can find various programs through LinkedIn that are offered, but always make sure that any CPD is covered, is accredited by the Law Society. Awesome, that's great. Um, and then we have another question here, which I think Linda, you essentially answered already, but it was, are there good alternative careers for people who did a parallel degree, a paralegal degree, excuse me, besides practicing? Well, um, we have students who, get jobs in the courts, the court system, and um, they can move up through there. Um, we have students who um, will get jobs in various government or, um, you know, even banks will have legal departments where they're doing small claims court. Um, law firms may hire people, uh, paralegal grads to be either law clerks or to be paralegals, depending on the type of work. So if you're a paralegal working in a criminal firm, you may be sent off to do set dates or adjournments and that kind of thing. That's great. Okay, see that's uh, for the Q&A. We had some really great questions. Um, let me just take a look at the chat. I think um, that was sort of the last one, Linda, that you uh, were able to sort of tack on. So I know we just have two minutes left, but the timing was fantastic. We had some great questions. I just wanna say thank you, Linda, for this um, incredibly informative session. Um, thank you for everyone attending today as well. Um, thank you, uh, Christy, for um, pulling up this uh, slide here. Um, we hope to see everyone at OGEN's future webinars coming up. We have a great lineup. Oh, uh, so fabulous. Yeah, so definitely sign up, register, um, you know, even if you can only tune in for a little bit between meetings here and there, that's, uh, that's great, uh, showing some support and uh, learning something a little bit new here. But um, in addition, uh, just to just a few um, uh, sort of uh, administrative things at the end here, we do have a survey that will be dropped into the chat for you to complete, but it'll also be emailed to you just to let us know how we're doing. Uh, we're seeing a lot of thank yous in the chat. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And of course, Linda um, has uh, been so kind to share some flyers actually for the legal programs at Seneca. So um, mainly to show teachers what other programs are available in the legal field. And we have those and we will be emailing those out as well. Um, so thank you so much again, Linda. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of gratitude in the chat here and I'm sure everyone uh, had, a, had learned quite a bit today. <laughs> so thank you. And everyone will sort of hear from us soon in an email with a few more links, but otherwise uh, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. Thank you so Bye -bye. much.